when it's like something in um, the latter, like the hot sauce, I'd say just try it. Just try it, you know, like put a, put aside a, you know, like, like I think a, a few thousand dollars to $5,000 can give you enough to just start, um, you know, get, get yourself registered, you know, you buy some and you don't spend it all at once. You know, you like you, you slowly build and you do some experiments to then be able to validate. That's where I encourage, you know, like jump in and experiment, start small and experiment. When it's something that's more impact driven, that's where I, 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 am, um, I counsel and encourage people to really think deeply and really do your homework because it's people's lives at stake. So you have to really understand the system of the challenge, who are the different stakeholders, who benefits from a challenge, um, you know, a societal challenge uh, showing up the way that it does um, and who, who it, you know, is hurt by it and how so and what, what are the policies, the histories, et cetera, and then look at who are the different um, you know, what are the different entities or people that are doing things about it, on, about a societal challenge, um, and then figure out, well, what is the best way for me to, um, for me to, to add value here? Welcome to the No More Reasonable Doubt podcast. In season two of this podcast, it's made to help Black professionals start passion projects so they can expand their impact in the world and at work. In each episode, you can expect an interview with a Black professional who has a nine to five just like you. And they've also launched a passion project into this world. You'll also get episodes with specific topics and lessons to help you move that passion project forward. I'm your host and fellow passion project starter, Mike Ambassador Bruni. Let's start the show. Okay. Today, our special guest is Rebecca Obunu. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm honored and it's a pleasure. Oh, I know. It's going to be a pleasure for the people as they, <laughs> as they hear your story and they get your energy as, as I know it. Uh, we <laughs> used to be colleagues at, uh, at Babson College. Mm -hmm. and, um, and here we are now recording a podcast. Yeah. So the first question I like to ask is, what do you currently do for full-time work? Sure. Uh, full-time, I work at MIT in uh, the Public Service Center, where uh, I manage the social innovation programming as assistant dean there. Excellent. And what is your purpose slash passion project, and how long has it been in existence? Okay. Um, purpose slash passion project. Um, I've got a couple. Well, one that I um, that I uh, have sunsetted for a bit until um, the sun rises back up on it. Um, and that one is an organization I founded. Um, it was like a, about or it's certainly more than 12 years ago. In 2008, um, the name is Communities for Haitian Entrepreneurs and Startups. So I literally just halted our activities uh, at the end of uh, 2020. 
And up until then, I was, uh, you know, running it part time uh, while working my um, full time gigs and, and keeping the lights on. And um, as far as at home and um, and in what we were doing, we were supporting rural entrepreneurship in Haiti and particularly our work touched rural women. We um, went to different locations across the country. I wouldn't say that we had a huge scaled impact, but I'd say um, our impact is what I what I'd like to think of as more deep. So we touched about 200 people um, over 60% of whom uh, were women of all um, ages and educational levels. And uh, it was such an honor. There have been so many mighty people who've you know, been the village around the whole organization. Um, and it couldn't have been possible without them. And, um, and my life has been so enriched by um, serving in this way and serving alongside amazing people who've taught me so much and, and, and working alongside um, the entrepreneurs who are, my goodness, such inspiring people. And, and again, I learned so much from them. Um, <clears throat> do you want me to talk about the second one or do you? Not yet. I have a question before we get okay. into the second one. I want the people to know what the origin story, like, yeah. yeah like, okay. What were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I know. What right? were you thinking? What, what was I thinking? Um, well, I, um, I was born in the U S I am of Haitian descent. Um, Anyways, um, and was born in the Cambridge area. My parents were always committed to returning home to Haiti, which is the reverse of most of um, the immigrant stories of most Haitian Americans I know. And so they took us, they not only decided to, you know, to return home and they didn't return home to like a, you know, like a, a the capital Port-au-Prince or some sort of more happening city, like other folks who I've known that have done that reverse, um, the reverse migration, uh, they took us to a very rural part of northern Haiti called, um, well, I wouldn't say it's very, very rural, but it's certainly rural, um, part of northern Haiti called La Couplembe. And um, it was this beautiful bucolic setting, just lovely. Uh, it was certainly culture shock and it took a couple of years for us to, uh, when I say us, my siblings and um, the, the entire family to adjust, but my goodness, I had the most fun and um, learned what community really means and looks like and what like living a full life looks like, even when you don't have a lot. A lot of our neighbors were, um, were, you know, often very poor. And um, here I went from being working class kid in, you know, to borderline poor kid in the U.S. to now we're in like more of the privileged um, family in a neighborhood. And it was just the weirdest shift public school to private school, um, 
everything was different. Uh, luckily, we knew we knew how to speak the language and read and, and write the language. That was something my dad insisted on. So um, at least that felt a little bit more familiar. But even like the food as you know it, um, certain, some of the main meals like that I grew up eating, Haitian meals that I grew up eating in the um, in the U.S., of course, were familiar, but I learned there was such a wide variety of even foods and flavors that I could have never imagined. Um, so while there, my mom, who is a nurse, worked at a local um, missionary hospital where every morning there were, you know, hundreds of people waiting um, in, you know, after triage to to that would sleep on the hospital grounds and uh, maybe for a day or two until the doctor would see them because um, access to healthcare was such a, you know, it wasn't quite easy. And, and, and actually um, there in, in us, I think it's like over 50% of bankruptcies have to do with, um, with uh, uh, catastrophic medical expenses. So when you, move that to a context of Haiti where, um, you know, back then, I don't think the poverty rate was even as bad as it is today, um, which hurts my heart to say, but um, when you've got like a population where over 50% of the population in the country, like right now, the country is about 11 million people. Um, and over half that, that population is poor and and there's like a majority that are extremely poor. So when you've got catastrophic, any like sort of, any sort of, a, a, you know, need to visit the, the hospital when you're kind of subsistence or you're, you're in a subsistence survival mode, um, that means a day away from whatever work you have to do to, to feed the family when it's hand to mouth like that, it is a huge burden. So, for example, um, traveling to uh, to a clinic that co that's costly. So, if people are not seen the same day, they don't have funds necessarily to travel back and forth home and get back to work and then go back when the doctor calls them. They don't have the safety net like we do here in the U.S., where um, people may have access to private insurance through their employer or. Um, some, you know, maybe some, pa you know, a passable um, uh, kind of municipal or state um, insurance program. People don't have that. So to lay out that context, my mom then uh, often noticed that a lot of these folks were, um, a lot of these folks had, how do you say that, like minor ailments that she as a nurse could could handle. And so then um, on top of that, it was like, you know, this was like opportunity um, plus, you know, that readiness and then plus the like luck in God, you know? Um, so I, I don't know if I believe in luck, but I certainly do believe in, in the divine that um, we were living in a home that a doctor built. So the doctor had actually built a a component in the house that where he had clinic um, services there. And then I think there were UN, um, UN troops that had um, inhabited that house 
as well before us. And then there was us. And um, we might have been the first Black family <laughs> that lived in that house. Um, and um, the, the, the neighbors uh, started slowly trickling down to come get um, health um, care because they just assumed that the next um, the next occupants of the house would provide that. And it just happened to be that my mom was a nurse. And so seeing that there was demand in the, in the um, area with the neighbors coming and then seeing the triage like of hundreds of people just sitting on the grounds waiting to be seen, she was like, well, I can, you know, on my off days, she wasn't always, she wasn't full-time at the hospital. She said, I can start this clinic. So um, she opened up this clinic called Woozy Clinic and she saw, um, you know, on average, like a hundred people a day for several years there. And it was very affordable. Um, and my mom is this like lovely hearted person who's like, I can't tell you, like she has this light that shines. Like my mom's, my mom's aura is just so beautiful and generous and she's been a nurse for 30 years. And if a person is a nurse for 30 years, that tells you a lot about them because you have to take care of people. You do, you know, like you take care of people in the most intimate way and sometimes in ways that their own family and blood don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what my mom has been doing for so many years in the U.S. and in, um, in, in the work in Haiti. So she, this ended up being a huge... Um, source of income and revenue for the family that really needed it, um, even though we were certainly privileged, but we certainly had, you know, like we had income gaps that we had to fill too. Um, and my mom, I wish that we had, um, <laughs> we had uh, uh, saved the formula, but my mom used to mix this um, solve uh, that was like an antibiotic solve that she'd sell for like um, one in one buck 50 in the local currency um so it was like i think uh so that would be about saying good or something like that saying good or 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 set booted me and um yeah it was it was truly beautiful to see her doing that and then i saw women's empowerment before i knew it was a thing i saw social venture and entrepreneur entrepreneurship before i knew it was a thing my mom trained a, a young high schooler who approached her one day um, from a neighboring town who said she had a dream of being a nurse and she wanted to learn. So she um, got hired as an intern. My mom also hired this, uh, uh, partnered with this lady who a truly a lovely, a lovely, fierce woman who um, would carry around a bag. Um, like it was like a lunch bag um, that she kept cooled so that with a lab, like basic lab, um, diagnostic um, uh, stuff. So she would be able to diagnose things like malaria or typhoid and um, like even um, HIV. Like, so like, uh, you know, she, she did a, quite a, a lot of, she was able to conduct a lot of tests through um, her very simple kit. And she'd just come on certain days. And then my mom ended up um, adding uh, like, a pharmacy to the clinic. So um, it, it served a lot. And actually the interesting part was where we were located. It was along um, Haiti's one highway called Bout Nationale 1. 
So we actually lived right on top of like a a hill, well, or maybe it's more of a mountain. And and you can see um, the northern bay of Akul from there. But it was also a super windy and dangerous road. So unfortunately, um, you know, there were at least a couple of really major and bad accidents. And, um, and so it was a great thing for, you know, my mom to be situated, the clinic to be situated where it was so that she could, you know, quickly help um, folks in need. So now that's a long story, but that backstory is the story that I stand on today. Um, and it's still a story that inspires me and just fills me with so much joy when I think that I had a chance to witness that. And um, <clears throat> and while seeing my mom do what she did, I, I was not very involved, but I watched it all. I'm not even knowing how inspired I was by it. But I did notice that um, more often than not, the people who, um, who were more vulnerable in the community uh, were not asking for charity, but more for work. So sometimes like my parents would hire extra folks around the house, not that we needed them. It was just um, to help them get up on their feet and have employment. So I became really inspired by that observation and um, and having like a really nice template from what I saw my mom do. And, and, um, and so that's what made me decide to um, go into business. I, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to come back to Haiti, start a business um, to, to provide employment. That was my dream. It's a business school. I mean, even looking at my college essays, that's what I said I was going to do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that was always the purpose for me. So after college um, and, and even throughout college, like I, I had a great college experience, great professor. And I, and I always have to um, name her. We're still in touch. Mary Lee, um, Professor Mary Lee. She is a lovely woman who taught me a lot about, you know, different cultures and, and within different contexts. She um, helped me to open up my eyes to the world and how women um, in the informal sector, how they're supported. So like I, I got introduced to microfinance. I, I, I then, you know, continued my study and, and, and et cetera. So um, after that, uh, you know, after uh, school, um, by then my family had all returned to the U.S. My dad um, had uh, had a, 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 a political, a short-lived political career that, um, that kind of drained the family resources and we just couldn't live in Haiti anymore. So um, we return starting, you know, all over, thanks to my mom in um, the South Shore in Brockton. And um, so I spent a year um, in high school in Brockton, finishing up uh, that degree and then um, was able to um, get to Bentley College through an inroad scholarship. And... Um, and then, and so, and I think I'm going, jumping back a little bit too much, but, I, but, but uh, to go back to after Bentley College, um, I wanted to start the business. My, my family had um, then left 
And they were like, no, you're by yourself. We don't want to send you alone. You're um, a young woman, this and that. So I was kind of like a little bit, I guess, ahead of the times for um, what I wanted to do. And so in the end, I respected the wishes of my parents. But I was like, I went to school for this. So Mm. we've got to figure this out. And so then um, I was like, well, I learned these practices. Let's see if I can help people who have are aspiring to have their own businesses um, in Haiti learn as well. And I can share and, and whatnot. So that was the whole the whole story of how it started. And um, it started, uh, didn't look back, worked with, uh, uh, we worked with two um, uh, community businesses in um, different parts of, of Haiti. And um, one is still getting off the ground now um, even though we've paused activity as chess i still follow um the launch and it's who starting up a business in haiti versus starting up a business here is just two different ball games it mm. is not the same um and I, i've learned so much and i learned so much about being humble and in listening really because you can easily think you know (laughs) (laughs) um and 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 also we did trainings trainings were always you know quite easy to implement because those are more time bound and you plan them in advance etc and they tended to be trainings with either um uh, entities that were supporting a group long term and <clears throat> they asked us to come you know these organizations would ask us to come to train the um, the population they were working with um, or we'd have different invitations so we never went really where we weren't invited um, and um, so the first place we went was back to the place where we lived and and, you know, my mom went with me. My mom had joined the board for like, and my mom was on it for nine years. And she, she doesn't play. I said, do do that? I was like, oh. Um, and, um, and, you know, we were welcomed with open arms, again, by the community, because my mom is just the rock star that she is. So the, uh, to talk about the businesses, the first one was a community like a local um, kind of uh, food store, natural food store that was selling local foods in 2013. And you might wonder, oh, why why that? Um, the interesting thing is with USAID, um, USAID uh, had, had some policy with the Haitian government where um, the, gov- the Haitian government had to agree to U.S. aid selling very, sub, you know, low price rice, subsidized rice from the U.S. to um, the Haitian market. So that ended up basically killing the, um, you know, like the agriculture, particularly the rice sector in, in Haiti for the longest time. I and mean, like it's, it's it went from 60% to like 30% in like a matter of several years. And so by the time this this business got launched by a group of women in Northern Haiti, mostly they were 
Um, one was like a, a, a college professor who was uh, the start, the founder and another one, um, she was a student and another one, I think she was studying nursing. So it was a, a, a group of, of really, you know, um, promising people and people who were educated and looking for opportunities and, and, um, and couldn't necessarily you know, get, find the opportunities. So they, we worked with them on the business plan, on launching the idea. So we really like tried to like support them along the way. And, um, and uh, again, in their own rights, they were amazing people. And so like, so, you know, so much credit is due to them. And, um, and, and we, so, you know, essentially they had um, noticed this need for local people to access local um, foods. And so in 2013, it got launched. The business um, got launched and survived through 2015. And and in the end, you know, by then, like the, the supply chain was so unstable. It was really hard for um, these women to to access the produce they needed to resell. It was also difficult. Um, they faced gender um, uh, discrimination challenges. I also learned an interesting lesson where um, we had done like one of those, you know, like very American like uh, marketing launch events. Um, where, you know, we sponsored it for them and we talked about what the organization was doing and how we helped them. And somehow um, word traveled around the community that they were rich and that, uh, you know, like we were sending them like massive hordes of money or something like that. And that was an unintended result of something we thought was going to be good for them um, for marketing. It ended up being more negative marketing. Um, it, and it was painful to learn these lessons and to watch um, these ladies struggle. And, and they had gotten a, a loan that was kind of forgivable from, from us. And so, um, you know, to watch the business, you know, go and, you know, like struggle and it, because of largely of forces that were outside of themselves. And, um, and, and then, but it also was such a beautiful business, like people in the community really appreciated it. And they had, they couldn't sell the, the goods in, like in, uh, like, uh, the prices that matched, um, you know, American rice, for example, or, um, or Dominican produce, but they could, they at least um, packaged them in a way where they could sell them in small enough quantities that people could purchase. It was, it was, it kind of was more like a, how do you say that? Like a gourmet sort of like Whole Foods-like-ish sort of purchase for people in the local community. Um, They also, what they also did was a big complaint that there was in the market is that to buy um, rice from the local market, like the Haitian rice, it was always full of rocks and it would take so much time to clean and take the rocks and other debris out, which they did all that work. And um, we had a chance to survey the community afterward and, and, um, and see what 
uh, you know, what was the impact of this business? And, you know, like we went to their customers um, and their customers loved it. You know, like the only, the only, uh, the only feedback was the price was high, which was not something that they could really um, move much on. But, you know, like I, we even had people who, who were managing chronic diseases like diabetes and seeing the difference in their health from eating the local produce versus the subsidized produce um, mm. and, and making that switch. Uh, and so there's that in the second business right now is a poultry farm in the southern part of Haiti. And that one has been uh, a project that keeps on giving, <laughs> 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 giving lots of lessons and, and also lots of um, joy too along the way. So um, end of, two, so early 2017. Yeah. So, er, so basically Hurricane Matthew hit a, a community um, in much of uh, Southern Haiti, you know, so the, in 2012 was the earthquake, like the devastating earthquake. Then in 2010, um, 2016, excuse me, um, four years later, after it seems like the country's starting to you know get a little footing with like there was cholera um too that happened and then and then after that you're like okay we think i think you know things are starting to look up and then this and this hurricane hits haiti and um and i encourage uh listeners to get educated on um climate injustice and and thinking and getting educated too on how we in in like the Western context contribute to climate injustice by the way we live because places like Haiti get hit even more <laughs> like the Caribbean like and other vulnerable places get hit even more because of our cons consumption habs habits. So, um, and so just pl putting that in, you know, there for people to hopefully, um, you know, look up more and research more about it. So anyhow, um, now most of the south of Haiti gets like wiped out and and by some accounts it's even more devastating than the earthquake because food has been um that was growing crops that were growing you know what was potential income are now gone and um and so many people trying to figure out like what to do now and now there was a, a gentleman who I had met through um, through MIT actually um, at a previous role um, and through the and by way of the, the introduction of a professor there uh, who was working with him in a class we stayed in touch and he reached out and he said look um, the you know we've got lives decimated from homes to crops, et cetera. The community needs something. Why don't you guys, you know, like, why don't you guys see if you can help with uh, helping us build like a, a, a more durable thing. And we had done, um, before that ask came, we had done some direct cash relief because we were, we were just, new people just needed money to get on their feet and to buy whatever local resources they could um, to, to um to at least you know like make it to the next day or to the next week and um and we had learned from the earthquake uh, where the earthquake response that my organization did 
Chess did was a whole drive and we don't like it was the worst decision and that's a, a story for another day but this time we're like oh, we're just giving cash because that's what people need they'll know how to find the resources and local people can benefit as opposed to um external people benefiting um from a crisis like if that's crazy so um yeah this poultry farm took lots of um partners so we really worked hard to to work with the locals have a local leadership behind this and uh <clears throat> a lot of different funders with complex funding schemes and um and we also first started by um bootstrapping it ourselves to get the momentum going with the community so we uh we we held fundraising activities here we sold um, Haitian products with, uh, working with startups were amazing, just amazing people, amazing startups got to make um, friends through um, partnering with them to sell their, their wonderful products and, um, and generate income for the organization to be able to run and to be able to support um, the, the projects and different initiatives. So um, yeah, so basically this poultry farm took from 2017 end of 2007 so beginning or middle 2017 up until uh recently like i think last at the end of the at the end of january the farm is literally standing and then um over the last few weeks it, it has started receiving hen but along the way boy has who there's been so much learning so much um, you know, so much adversity and uh, challenges to navigate. And, um, and I, it's been amazing to watch the community, um, you know, grow. And I myself growing throughout the process as well and learning um, and <laughs> certain things we would never let happen again. Let me ask you this question, Rebecca. Is there a point where you hesitated to start that first passion for project no and what got you over the hump and what got you over the hump uh, well i guess the hesit the hesitancy was the, the family as i mentioned earlier um i had i had to switch from what i originally wanted to do which was to start up a business and then um and then but the purpose remained the same so i found a different way Excellent. So one of the biggest challenges that people face when it comes to starting a, a purpose or passion project is the question of time. They have their, the people I'm talking to, they have full-time work, um, or they may be even entrepreneurs in some cases. They have full-time work, and then they're, they're trying to build something here, um, a, a project, sometimes monetized, sometimes not. How did you find the time or make the time for your project? Yeah, it was hard, but lots of weekends, evenings. Um, and and then also I I um, benefited from a being employed at an, an organization that had very great um, benefits. So if you're um, so if you're thinking about if you have to make transitions and you're thinking about also siding, starting something on the side, you want to think about the benefits package, what kind of um, uh, vacation uh, days options do you get? So sometimes it might make sense. You give up a little bit more of the earnings to have more time and more flexibility. So flexibility was also important. 
And um, I was very blessed that not only uh, in one of my roles did the did the vacation uh, kind of the vacation package was liberal. Well, I wouldn't say liberal, but I compared to some places liberal there. And then there are other places that are like, oh, you have unlimited days. Um, knowing people don't always will never take unlimited days of vacation. But anyhow, um, you know, having a good va vacation package and then also having flex in the work hours, I was able to really, you know, get things off the ground. Okay. Now, and I want the people to know, because right, when, when I met you originally, you had full-time work, you were finishing up an MBA yeah, as well. So I am so curious of, about that aspect of, of how time played in when, when you had the MBA in there as well. Oh my goodness. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was among the more difficult times in life. <laughs> I, plus I'm married and there was you know, like you, ha you, there are trade-offs, you know? And so um, I, I had to carry a lot of the organization's work on my shoulders, even though I had worked hard to try to get our board and to get leadership and, and everything on, like as far as volunteers to, to help distribute the load. And it, it didn't pan out that way. And you just, you just made it happen. You know, like if it was like, you had to get up at one or two a.m. to do it, or you had to stay late. You just did it, and then, um, and then, you know, and then there were. Then I was working and ensuring that I'd work in some time for my personal life, but there was very little of that at that time. The other piece that te that seems to be tied with time is 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 fatigue, and the question of you finish work, you finish doing the work that you have to do, but potentially that also includes schoolwork. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things you did? Did you have any rituals that gave you, um, you, you know, new energy? So, so, so that when it came time to do the work, you, you, you know, you, you were mm -hmm. fatigued. Did you have anything? Um, eating. I love to eat. <laughs> so like, eat. it's just like, you know, when you're feeling depleted, taking the time out to do those things you love, or if it's like, a day of binging, you know, giving myself permission to binge and do nothing and like watch a, sh a good show, um, working out. Um, and then that sort of, that sort of gave me the energy to move on. Passion of course helps, but passion can, you can still get burned out on running on the fuel of passion. You really do have to step back and take care of yourself. So um, I had to learn that the hard way too. Um, and so, and, and I'm also very blessed that my husband helped me, you know, like helped me like see that, but, um, it, but yeah, you've, the passion also gave me a, a, another kind of wind of energy. And when you see the, the labor of your hand bearing fruit, Oh my goodness. And then especially when you see the collective labor bearing fruit, there's no kind of, you know, like, I don't know, um, like, how to explain that joy. How has your passion project impacted the way you show up at your day job? Oh, and like, the confidence. Um, so I, I, in my previous roles, 
I've tended to work in flat organizations. So they're, you know, you'd, you'd have certain amount of growth and then you could plateau easily um, if you weren't one looking for challenging to continually challenge yourself. So I found ways to, um, to, to, how do you say that? Like um, to channel some of the energy like that and that energy of ambition or energy of wanting of striving um, in the organization um, where I may have, you know, where the opportunities may have been limited and sometimes in some instances outright denied um, for, for not, not really good reason. Um, And, and so that, that enabled that. And so then like, I didn't feel like I was wasting my time or like energy and, and um, ideas were wasting away because there was a place to, to work on them. And then the other thing too, is that um, then I was able to like what I was, you know, all of the richness of what was happening outside of work, I was able, was able to trickle into um, a number of my roles. And in fact, that, the, what I was doing outside is what led me to a new role at when I moved to Babson. So Babson, I was first a student undergrad and then um, not undergrad, grad, excuse me, my MBA. And then I went to Uganda with um, uh, Professor Wilgina Glover, another amazing woman, like my goodness, love her. And um, in during that trip, she she noticed and she she learned about chess. She noticed, I um, mean, like some of my different characteristics and such. And she said, "Hey, you know, I'm looking for somebody for this role at the Lewis Institute. I think you would be great." And I was a little bit hesitant at first because I wasn't sure um, if it was a right fit. I didn't like I didn't know that much a, a, around um, healthcare then, like global healthcare entrepreneurship. She, she called it. I just knew what my mom had done, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't know much about the sector, um, but I knew about, you know, getting stuff done through the work and she, she saw value in that. And so um, he, then I was, I got, I jumped into that role and a lot of my network, um, you know, was able to be of benefit to the work there. And, um, and yeah, I learned a lot. Excellent. What um, so someone right now is on the fence with starting their own passion or purpose project. What what words of wisdom or guidance would you provide them as someone who who has kind of gone who's gone through starting it? Yeah, I think it. I think there's there are some questions you have to ask yourself. So one, I I think about I would when it's like something in um, the ladder, like the hot sauce. I'd say just try it. Just try it, you know, like put a, put aside a, you know, like, like I think a, a few thousand dollars to $5,000 can give you enough to just start, um, you know, get, get yourself registered, you know, you buy some and you don't spend it all at once. You know, you like you, you slowly build and you do some experiments to then be able to validate. That's where I encourage, you know, like jump in, and experiment, start small and experiment. When it's something that's more impact driven, that's where I, 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 um, I counsel and encourage people to really think deeply 
and really do your homework because it's people's lives at stake. So you have to really understand the system of the challenge, who are the different stakeholders, who benefits from a challenge, um, you know, a societal challenge uh, showing up the way that it does um, and who, who it, you know, is hurt by it and how so and what, what are the policies, the histories, et cetera, and then look at who are the different, um, you know, what are the different entities or people that are doing things about it, on, about a societal challenge, um, and then figure out, well, what is the best way for me to, um, for me to, to add value here? You know, um, you don't want to come in and do something duplicative and, 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 and try to compete, I think, in, in when it comes to social event, like a, a social problem, it's, you should be looking more, thinking of the word collaboration, thinking of the word, word partnership, thinking of the system of things, the stakeholders, and talking to those stakeholders, understanding you got to do your homework. You don't want to jump in and then, um, and then try to, you know, use like that experimental uh, mindset and then you you make things worse for people so that's what I would say about that that was so powerful and I love the distinct the, the kind of how you distinguish between um, something that you're you're doing and you can experiment with and the other one that's like that is impact driven and really has an it could have an impact on people's lives yeah. And the thought of words like collaboration and um, making sure you do your do your homework, Fred Devoir, yeah, Fred Devoir, yeah. do your homework. That's um, there's a lot of people who are going to be blessed by hearing those yeah. words. I can I can tell already. There's people who are who are on the fence, and and they probably have their legs bent, ready to dive in, and and, and your words are going to help them to save a whole bunch of time and and, and agony. So thank you for yeah. that. Thank and you I'll for that. Are there? I'm sorry. Oh, go I ahead. just want to add, it doesn't mean that the hot sauce venture won't have impact. And I do believe like that will, and it can, but there's a, there's a, such a difference in like making some widget, you know what I mean? Or some, some product versus trying to directly um, address a societal challenge through a venture. So I just, just wanted to make sure I said that too as well. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I think this is a, a good point to tell us about, more about your hot sauce venture. And um, how long has it been in existence? How did this come to be? You started to tell mm -hmm. us about it, but kind of the, how did it come to be? And were there any hesitation points and kind of what got you to, to jump? Yeah, um, yeah, basically, I mean, this is something that my husband and I wrote down as part of our like family plan, um, uh, like probably ten years ago, and and it wasn't that we said we we're gonna start a hot starts venture. We said we we're gonna start a business together that benefits society, that can um, support our family and our dreams, mm -hmm. and so we're still at, at the beginning. So um, you know, uh, that's to be determined, <laughs> but I have high hopes. Um, but anyhow. Um, we, you know, the Corona um, virus and the pandemic was, had halted the world. And um, now we're at home and we're, 
um, we found ourselves together all the time. And then, um, you know, the, the different stimulus checks came in and we were thinking about, well, what do we do with, you know, this extra funding? I mean, there was so much that we could do, um, uh, given that we were in that income bracket that, you know, like there's a lot that we could have done with that money, but we're like, well, you know, like my husband and I looked at each other. I was like, well, you know what, there's, we've always talked about this business. This could be the time to actually try it. Why not? Um, hesitancy wise, there's a lot going on for, um, my husband and I still, um, and at that, at the time when we decided to, to start it, I mean, chess was still going on, even though I, I knew we were, um, ramping down, but it was a lot to handle with the ramp down. Um, and then like my husband's in, in school as well. So very busy. And then I was like, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, so was he. And at first, like there was definitely some, I'd say like uh, growing pains or adjusting to learn to work with each other in that way. Um, but it was like, we have this opportunity, why wait any longer? And so that's what, you know, was the, the deciding factor for us. Is there, um, so one of the last questions I like to ask is around, are there any books, and I use book very loosely, really resources that have helped you in either side that you'd like to share with the people, whether it be, um, you know, the first project you shared with us or the second with the hot sauce? Mm, okay, well, there's a, I'd say there are a lot, I, I'm not, like, I, I certainly am a reader, but like, I'm a, more of a reader of, um, of articles, and I love to listen to different talks. And so I'm like, I'm more, I get my info and inspiration from uh, so many different places. Um, so I wish I had thought about that a little bit before this. But I, when I think about um, you know, the social entrepreneurship, like that venture, there's a book by a guy named Tyler Gage, Fully Alive, that I thought it was such a beautiful book that was so honest about the personal journey and the, the, the journey of, of the venture he started called Runa T. Um, and just a beautiful book. So I think that's a really good one for those folks who are thinking about going, you know, addressing a societal venture through a for-profit or for-purpose entity. Because um, I think there are a lot of things that you can learn um, from that. And, and, and you also have to really do a lot of introspection. Um, and, you know, like, I think this is more of one where he did it afterward. But I'd say the, the sooner you do it, the better you do by yourself and the people you're actually trying to help. Um, and so that's something I would advise as far as for the hot stuff, like literally, um, I got some PowerPoint presentation somewhere of setting up a business. I went on YouTube, look, just double check some things, went on the, the, the state secretary's website. Um, um, and then also, you know, I had had some prior experience with navigating like the uh, employer identification number, which is so easy to do on the IRS website with chess. And, um, and then I use this 
service called Zen Zen Business, I think, to get registered. You could I could have easily filed it myself, but I wanted um, you know, I felt like more security working through a, a platform registrant. It was super easy. Um, and then I think there's some online form called legal. I think it's like legal document. I have to find the name exactly, but it's basically a, 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 a repository of all of these legal contract templates. And that was also super helpful to, um, to, to get a subscription to that. And I use Google business um, and, and then got a, a business bank account, um, you know, like a few months after having incorporated and with my phone and with Shopify, like we were ready to go basically. That's beautiful. Where, where can people find out more uh, about the hot sauce? Where, where, where should we Oh yeah, it? sure. Thanks for that. <laughs> it's um, so we're in the very beta early stages. So we're still working on the branding, the name and all of that. So um, you're, you know, those who follow us now, you're, you're going to see the ugly, dirty journey before we become the, the polished brand, which is, it, which is the fun of, of also the, the, the whole thing. Um, but go to Instagram and and, and Instagram at O-B-Y-S-A-U-C-E-O. We'll be sure, we'll, we'll be sure yeah, to link O-B-Sauce. to it. We'll link to it in the, oh my goodness. we'll link to it in the, in the show yeah, notes okay. though. No stress at all. Is there any other question that I should be asking you, especially because we covered two things and I don't know if there's more love you'd like to give to the hot sauce. Is there any question I should be asking you that I'm not asking you? Something you'd like to share with us before we part ways? Um, well, I guess um, I guess to plug the hot sauce more, it's um, just to, to speak a little bit about um, my husband's background. His um, He's a fascinating guy, like fascinating man. Um, but I know he won't want me to talk too much about him, but I'll say this. He <laughs> has traveled the world um, and has been an avid lover of different cultures and foods. And his um, he grew up in France. His um, stepfather is a chef. And so he's brought all of that together from learning through his father, um, working, um, you know, when he was forced to work as a kid in in you know, like in some high end gourmet kitchens and um, and mixing all those flavors. And that has ended up in this bottle. Plus, he, he's a, a health freak. So um, that's also in the bottles. And, you know, I get to, you know, help bring out some of the, some of his many special uh, qualities to the world. Excellent. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to bless us with with your journey and, um, you know, helping someone else start their own purpose and, and passion project uh, by listening to what to what you've done. Why, thank you. My pleasure. And if folks have questions, um, just DM me on Instagram at Obisauce and um, I answer and then you'll also see our website and we, I'm pretty responsive on email as well. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Mike. I hope you enjoyed that episode and found tremendous value in it. If so, don't keep it.
secret. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, our handle, No More Reasonable Doubt. Every so often, I create a free resource to help you take your purpose or passion from a dream to an actual project. You can always find that resource at nomoreasonabledoubt.com forward slash free gift. This is Mike Ambassador Bruni for No More Reasonable Doubt. Remember, some dreams stay dreams, some dreams come true. It's on you.